Is up front for what I'm about to share with you, okay, and I mean this with all sincerity. Uh, I'm about to use a four-letter word in church. Yes, I know it shouldn't happen. You didn't come here for this today. It's not your fault. However, I've got the microphone and I cannot disobey what I feel like I'm meant to share today. So I'm about to use a four-letter word, and in this day and age especially, should not be uttered the best of times, let alone in such a holy building. I don't want you to judge me. And I don't want you to switch off from me. I believe you may actually get something out of this. I also stand here today, and I want to be honest about this, I'm prepared that this may be the last time I preach in this church because of the four-letter word I'm about to say. To be fair, it's being recorded, so it may well be the last time I preach in any church of this movement or any other. But I'm prepared for that. I'm okay. Whatever the consequences are, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to know I've enjoyed my time with every one of you. It's been the best and worst of times we've shared together. And I'm prepared for whatever happens after I say what I'm about to say. So parents, if you've got children here, could you please put a finger in each ear? They don't need to hear this. It's especially disturbing to that generation and those that have come just before them. And the word I'm about to say right now, with fear and trepidation, the Holy Spirit, would you open their ears to hear what I'm saying, is the word, wait. Have I lost you yet? Have you gone? Anybody moved? Wait. 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 Nobody likes to hear the word wait. We live in a world right now that is spinning a million miles an hour and it's geared towards doing everything it possibly can to make sure that you don't have to what? Wait for anything. Technology and uh, science and everything that's happening right now, it's building towards a world where we can completely discard this disgusting four-letter word from our vocabulary where you don't have to wait for anything. Isn't it amazing? Waiting, it's not something that comes natural to us in the year 2019. In fact, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was a guy talking about generational diversity in the workplace. And he made this statement. He was summarizing the current generation that are entering in the workforce now and and how they see life and that. And he broke down, uh, summarized their world in five letters, and he used the word seen, S-C-E-N-E. And the first one was S, and I stopped there because it's so worked and he said the first thing that summarizes this generation is speed everything's quick quick internet instant meals instant this instant that everything at your fingertips it's speed and and of course he said the negative side of speed is that if speed is normal and expected then slow is considered bad slow has now become bad anything that's slow that takes time can easily now be construed as bad therefore if slow is bad we've got to fix bad how do we fix bad we make it fast quicker more why because we don't want to have to wait for anything so if slow is bad then waiting is almost a sin we shouldn't have to wait for anything everything is at our fingertips the church is the same if you want a sermon a message you don't have to wait till sunday now to get here and hear somebody in your locality that might get up and preach you just jump on itunes or or netflix uh, uh, yeah netflix or whatever they, i don't know what they're all called but all those platforms you can go on now and you've got sermons at a fingertip not only can you listen to a sermon at the click of a finger you can pick the sermon you want to hear i don't like what he's preaching on sunday i want to hear something about i'm the greatest so I'm going to Google search, I'm the greatest sermon. It's going to come up, I'm going to find a sermon that says, I'm the greatest. 
And after about three minutes, guess what I'm going to do? If I don't like it, he's not telling me I'm the greatest. I'm going to press the stop button, swipe him across, and I'm going to grab another one. Until I find that preacher that tells me everything I want to hear. I'm not going to wait. Everything's at our fingertips. Worship. We can have worship at our fingertips. Now, how many of you know we can worship in our cars now? We just press a button on Spotify and up comes the worship. You don't have to wait to gather with anyone who needs other people now. Once upon a time, we used to gather together and our whole life is worship, but I'm talking about the context of what we did here this morning. We'd gather together, but now we can worship in our car. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with it. You know, we can worship while we're doing the dishes and we're looking out watching the kids play. We, we can worship. Nothing wrong with any of that. But I do think it's nice occasionally to have a conversation with somebody when they're not looking at their mobile phone while they're talking to me. It's nice to have your attention for a bit in a busy world, fast-paced world. So, you know, we don't like to wait. We don't want to wait for things. Um, I was thinking about my wife and she's not here. Very strategically, I timed this story for the period that she's dropping my daughter at work. She rang me a few years ago. She said, honey, I want to put a picture frame up in the house we were living in in Brisbane. And I said, okay, explain to me what you're going to do on the phone. She said, well, I've got two things in my hand. One, I've got a screw. Everyone know what a screw is? Yep. And the other one, I've got a hammer. And I thought straight away, okay, honey, here's my advice. Wait. Please, whatever you do, would you just Wait. Four hours later, I come home. As soon as I open the door, guess what I realised? She didn't what? <laughs> she didn't wait. I open up the door and right in front of me is a wall. And has anyone ever banged a screw into a wall with a hammer? You know what happens? It doesn't just go pop like a little hole. The whole wall went like that. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this massive big hole in the wall. She knew I'd seen it because she heard the door open. She said, I counted the seconds. And normally, it takes about seven to get up the stairs. You were there for about oh, 160. With no noise. You weren't even moving your feet. I was just standing there going... I wonder how that happened. Wouldn't it be my wife? I told her to wait. <laughs> of course she would have waited. I wonder who's been in my house. The inability to wait, the impatience, causes us to make bad decisions in life. Waiting is not something that's cool anymore. We don't like to wait for anything. You've just got to look at national debt. I think, I think Australia at the moment is in about $30 billion credit card debt. $30 billion because we can't wait to save the money or to budget to get to that place, we've got to have it now. Uh, five years ago, it was about $51 billion, And I think the only reason it's dropped is probably because we've got these things now, Afterpay and zip pay and all this other stuff. It's basically, you take it now, and we've trapped you now. You've got to pay, and we're taking the money out of your account. And people are going, oh, I haven't got the money in the account. What will I do? I'll take it out of the credit card, and I'll put it in that account, and then I'll pay the Afterpay. We've got troubled relationships. We don't want to wait to fix them. We'll just trade each other in and we'll upgrade to a younger model, a sexier model, a faster model, a model that's more like me or whatever because it, you know, it takes time in a relationship when you've got stuff going on and you realise it and you've got to confront it and you've got to sort it out. I don't want to wait for it to be better. I just Let's just get to the end result really, really quickly. We don't like waiting in 2019. But I think waiting is a very important thing. For us as believers, and I've got a guy that wrote something about 2,700 years ago. I want to bring it up right now. You might think, well, that's a bit late in time, but I want to bring it up. His name was Isaiah, and in this little ancient document we've got that's titled Isaiah, in chapter 40, he wrote something to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel at the time was actually going through a bit of turmoil. They were being overrun by the Assyrian armies, and the good news... 
to the nation at the time was this, hey, Assyria are overrunning you, but the good news is this, Babylon are going to take over the Assyrians. So you'll be a slave to Babylonians instead of the Assyrians. That's good news. You're still going to be a slave, just going to be somebody else that's going to overrun you. So life wasn't all peaches and cream for these guys. There was a lot of stuff going on in the nation, a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's funny, people say, we use this phrase, time poor. Anyone ever heard that phrase, time poor? I was thinking about that the other day. I went back to Genesis and I flicked through, and I even went back and I read in the Hebrew, and I can't find any day there that was more than 24 hours. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we think, oh, we're time poor. This generation is time poor. Now you've got 24 hours every day like every other generation's ever had. Maybe we're not time poor. Maybe we're just... A lot more distracted. Maybe we're just chucking more food on our plate than we can actually digest. Just a thought. Just a thought. Isaiah chapter 40. I want to have a look at something that Isaiah said. Now, it's obvious that Isaiah wasn't born in Australia in 2019. We know that because he's going to suggest in a minute that the people of God should what? Should wait. But he's got a good reason for it. Here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 40. It says this. Starting in verse 28. He says, have you not known and have you not heard? Now, usually that statement is said in the sense of, in other words, you have known and you have heard. I'm not, what I'm about to tell you is not something new. This is not something that you as a nation are unaware of. This is not new information to you. This is not going to be a mind-blowing revelation. Oh, God's real. Hang on a second. He's talking to the people that were in captivity in Egypt God turns up, does all these freaky, wonderful signs, parts waters, gets them through. A whole generation miss it because they grumble and complain. A generation later gets across into the promised land. They fight against God, but God still achieves his goals and what he wants to do and so on. I mean, this generation has stories passed down one generation to another, to another, to another, to another. They know who God is. They've seen some stuff, they've heard some stuff, they've experienced some stuff, they're pretty aware. So he's not saying to them, I'm about to tell you a revelation right now that is mind-boggling and brand new, and when you hear it, you're going to go, wow, Isaiah, you are the greatest preacher. Write a book about that, Isaiah, because it will be a number one seller, and we'll get you on the speaking circuit, Isaiah, we'll get you around to the villages, and we'll put your name up. Nothing like that. He's saying, have you not known, have you not heard? In other words, you know this, and you already heard this, but I'm just going to remind you of something that you just might have forgot. How many of you forget things? I was in the car the other day. I'm, I'm sharing this story while my wife's away as well. I'm watching the door. If she comes, I'll change tact. <laughs> the people we're in the car with, the lady... To, oh, she's coming. Got to get this out real quick. Here she comes. So the lady in the car turns. We're talking about wedding anniversary. She turns to me and goes, oh, when's your wedding anniversary out? Because ladies gang up on men, don't they? When we're together, they do. When we're together in small clusters, you gang up on us. You've got to stop it. We've got soft hearts. We're fragile. Okay? So anyway... She's back. Okay, I can't share that story now. (laughs) Oh, I'm halfway there. I'll keep going. So the lady turns to me and she goes, so when's your wedding anniversary, Ellen? And I just said to Jackie, have you not known? Have you not heard? 22nd July, 1995. One of the best days of my life. (laughs) Great timing, darling. Great timing. Have you not known? And have you not heard? Of course they had, but he's about to remind them of something that sometimes we forget. 
And I've, there's something on my heart I want to just remind us of today. It's not profound. It's not new. You probably heard it a billion times. We're going to now chalk up a billion and one times that you've heard it. But I want to say it again, and I want to get to a place here, and I'll do as, go as quick as I can, and everybody here knows what my quick's like. But I will be quick. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting, and then he begins to talk about God. Now, this is the God we worshipped when we came in this morning. This is the God that we're gathering around. This is, this is the God that we talk to people about. This is the God we believe in. And he goes on, he says this. He says, The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Isn't that good? The God that we serve, he never faints, doesn't get tired. He's not weary. He's not chewing on protein bars to keep up with the rest of us. Okay? He's not worried about his diet. He's not turning around to the Holy Spirit going, you didn't give me enough vegetables this week. I'm a little bit... He's just running on all cylinders all the time. That's your God. Isn't that awesome? That's the God that you believe in. That's the God that you've given your life to. He's not deficient in anything. If he was, he wouldn't be God. The creator of the ends of the earth neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's got all knowledge. Not only does he have all power, he's got all knowledge. He's the all-consuming one. He knows everything. He's the top of the food chain. He's Simba. He's Simba in The Lion King. He's Luke in Star Wars. Huh? They're about the only two examples I can think of, but there's tons out there. You get my point? And then watch this. This is who he is. Now this is what he does. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. So if you're weak, he can give you strength. If you're struggling to get through life, he can give you what you need to make it. If you've got stuff going on that's trying to jam you down and cram you down and slow you down and sap you of energy, he can meet those deficiencies. His adequacy is able to fill those spaces in our... This is the, I mean, this is the God that we sang to. This is the God that we were lifting our voices to. This is the God that we gather around. We lose that sometimes in a modern, fast-paced world. We can lose that sometimes. But this is, this is the God that we follow. He's just reminding them, going, you already know this, but I'm just going to remind you again because sometimes we get distracted. And then after telling us who this God is, in verse 30, he says this. He then changes tact. He says, now I've told you about God, now I'm going to tell you about people. He says, even youths. Those with the most energy in life. Even youths faint and be weary and young men utterly fall. In other words, God is perfect and has everything. But you know what? Humanity, even the best of you, fall short at times. Even the best of you find yourself crying out for something. Even the best of you find yourself in situations where you're lacking something. So here's God that's got absolutely everything. And the best of humanity still find themselves in places of emptiness. So he's going, here's God. And then here's what people are like. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. I love this next bit. But those who wait on the Lord shall. So he says there's this awesome God that can do anything. There's this humanity that always end up in a place of need. Those that wait on God, here's what shall happen for you. This is what shall happen. There will be a transaction that takes place. This is what he's saying. There's a transaction that takes place between those of us down here... And, though, and, and, the, and God up there, or God, God's not up there, we just say that, he's actually here. But there's a transaction that takes place between an all-efficient God and a deficient humanity when a deficient humanity learn to wait on him. When we learn to wait on God and prioritise God. Now we're waiting on God. We, we hate waiting. We've just talked about that. Waiting is a dirty word. Nobody wants to wait for anything. 
You don't want to wait for me to finish this sermon. You want to get up and leave. I know you do. I can see some of you looking at clocks. Some of you looking up at the air con. I can tell. Some of you are thinking about lunch. I'm reading your mind. Right now, while I'm saying you don't want to wait, you're sitting there going, would you hurry up with that? Because we don't want to wait for you to finish talking about us waiting. You're driving us nuts. Get on with that. Okay, okay. Back up with your thoughts. Leave me alone. I'm a servant of God. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Who needs to mount up on wings like eagles? Who finds himself soaring down here, but you know you want to get up there. Your desire's up here, but you're down here. And you can't get yourself up there, but you read that and you go, man, I want that. I want to I mount up on wings like eagles. I want that to be me. I want to be the one whose strength is renewed. I'm, I'm feeling weak at the moment and I need my strength to be renewed. I want that. Well, Isaiah is saying, well, those who wait upon God, this is the result. These are the transactions. These are the things that happen in your life when you take time to wait on God. These are the things that happen when we take time to wait, to prioritise God in our life. I'm not telling you anything new today. You know this. You could get up here and probably preach this same message better than me. But I'm going to say it anyway because I'm up here and you're down there. Anyone a fan of Ace Ventura? You remember that scene where he's climbing the mountain and the helicopter guy goes, I wouldn't be doing that if I were you. I'm going to do it. But if I were you, then you'd be me. And I'd be using your body to get to the top. <laughs> okay, moving on. Man up with wings like eagles. I'll run, not be weary, walk and not faint. Waiting is not popular in today's society. But here's what Isaiah says. While waiting might not be popular, for those of us to follow God, waiting is essential. It might not be popular... But it certainly is essential if we want to live the kind of life that God wants us to live down here on earth. Amen? We've got to learn to wait on God. We've got to learn to wait on God because God has things that he wants to do in our life. There are transactions that want to, God wants to take place, changes in our world, and they're only going to happen as we learn to wait on God. Not as we do things for God, it's as we learn to wait on God. Let me tell you something. That Greek, the Hebrew word for wait is, the, is a word, korvo. It's an interesting word. So the Hebrew word for wait literally means this. This is what it means in the Hebrew, where it says, those who wait upon the Lord shall. That word wait upon means this. It means to expect to look for, to wait for. There's a sense of faith. You know, sometimes when we wait, we're just kind of waiting. Like We think waiting is this passive stance of inactivity. That's not what this is saying. Waiting on God is not a passive stance of inactivity. It's inbuilt within. It's like waiting for a bus. Anyone ever waited for a bus? Yep. Who's ever sat at a bus stop waiting for a bus that you knew wasn't going to come? No. I nearly had someone then. I saw someone thinking about that. Oh, I did once, but I'm not going to tell them. You go to a bus stop and you sit there and the bus ain't there right now, but you know the bus is going to come. You're sitting there because you've got faith and expectation that bus is going to arrive. Where'd you get that from? You're at a bus timetable. And so based on that information, you're prepared to wait. What happens if the bus is one, two, three minutes late? Do you get up and run away? Do you get angry, mad? No, you sit there. Because you're not, no, no, I know it's going to come. I've got faith. I'm expecting that this thing's going to come. Might not come right on time, might be a little bit late, whatever. But I've got a sense of expectation while I'm waiting that it's going to come. Waiting is not just this passive uh, time and period of inactivity. There's an expectation that comes with waiting. But here's the best part of the definition of the word korvor in the Hebrew. And here's what it means. 
to expect, to look for, to wait for, to bind together by twisting. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who bind together with God by twisting. Now, I remember when my daughter was really young and I used to braid her hair before school. That's an absolute lie. I never braided my daughter's hair. Okay? I'm just putting it out there, confessing it right now before all and asunder. I never did that. But I did work at Dan Murphy's for many, many years. And here's a better illustration of what it means to bind together. When I worked at Dan Murphy's as a manager for years, one of my jobs was I was uh, in charge of product knowledge and I used to train the staff and so on. And uh, probably the area that I was most proficient in was the area of whiskey. Yeah, train the, st- train the staff, Rob. Come on. Be professional, would you? You're in church. I'm wearing a collar. See, by the way, this is why I don't wear button-up shirts. Anyone notice that? See how it goes off to the side? It's not even in the middle. How terrible. I keep doing this just to get it back. Anyway, wardrobe problem. So when I used to work there, I used to do whiskey presentations. I used to get uh, customers would come on in during the week and I'd do whiskey nights for the customers. And at the Bell and the Fine Wine and Food Fair, I, I went in there and I used to do the whiskey presentations at the food fair at the race course there. And, and here's, here's the thing about whiskey. They, 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 get the, they, they develop the whiskey, they, they, they go through the process, but when it's ready, they put it in a barrel. And while they, when they put it in the barrel, something happens while it's sitting in the barrel. Now, here's what happens. While the alcohol's sitting in the barrel and the seasons change and the temperatures change, the wood in the barrel expands and contracts. It expands and contracts. When it, was, when it expands, you know what it does? It sucks some of the, the liquid, the alcohol, into the actual wood of the barrel. And then when the wood contracts, it squeezes the alcohol back out into the general population of alcohol in the barrel. And then it will, through temperature changes, it'll expand and contract, expand and contract. And, and, and they'll have age statements on bottles of whiskey, 8-year-old, 12-year-old. That's the amount of time that basically the, the youngest whiskey in that bottle has spent in the barrel. So it takes years to produce a really, really nice... The longer it sits in there, the more flavours are in it, the more aromas are in it, the more character, the more body that ends up in that particular bottle of whiskey. The shorter the time, the less character, the less flavour, the less aromas. In order to get whiskey out quicker nowadays, you know what what distilleries are doing? They're doing what they call non-age statement whiskies. Now that means that they might have been in there for two years, three years, four years. You don't know now, but they just put them in because they've realised we want to hurry up and just mass produce and get them out because as long as it's sitting in the barrel, we're not making money out of it. So let's get it out into the bottle shops as quick as we can. But the problem is they're compromising the quality of the whiskies, and people are less uh, driven to buy these non-age statement whiskies. Corva. It's like the process that takes place in the barrel as the whiskey and the wood intertwine and interact together. I wonder how many of us in our walk with God right now, if we're honest with ourselves, are we a, have we got an age statement on our life? Is the flavours and the aroma and the life of God mixing in with us? Are we waiting on God? Are we spending time with him? Or are we producing a more non-age statement type of a life? Because we're too busy. We just want to hurry up and get out there. Get out and do the stuff. Get out and live the life. Get out and make things happen. Get out and get the money. Get out and get the thing. I wonder. Are we allowing that interaction to take place between us and God? By waiting on God. So what exactly does it look like to wait on God, to interact with him? Well, I think that's 
very easy to describe. There's a story about an incident that took place in the life of Jesus. A fellow called Luke recorded it in his book. Luke chapter 10, verse 39. And it's the story of Jesus going to the house of this couple called Mary and Martha. They weren't a couple, couple, but you know what I mean. It was Martha's house. Mary, don't know if Mary lived there or she was visiting, we don't know. But he goes to Martha's house, and here's how the story goes. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. So Mary and Martha are in the house. Jesus is there. Jesus is sitting down, and he's talking, and Mary is sitting there. But it's not a passive period of inactivity. She's sitting, and she's listening. In other words, she's positioning herself to hear from God. Martha's busy running about doing all kinds of things, you see. And so Martha turns to Jesus and has a bit of a dig at him. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Martha wasn't a bad person. Martha wasn't uninterested in what Jesus had to say. Martha was just distracted, worried and troubled about so many other things that she had no time to just sit with Jesus and listen to what he might have had to say to her. And I love Jesus' response here. He says, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. One thing's needed. And watch this. Mary has what? Chosen. Mary has chosen. I don't claim to live in everybody's shoes in this world. I certainly don't. But I do believe this, that if we're going to position ourselves to hear from God, if we're going to learn to wait on God, it has to be a choice that you make. It can't be something that you fit into your schedule when you find a slot or when you have time. It's got to be a decision. It's got to be a choice. I'm going to live a life that is characterized by waiting on God because that's where I get my strength from. Waiting on God, that's where I fly like, like an eagle. Waiting on God, that's where, that, that's where I get my, my wisdom from. Waiting on God, that's where I get revelation from. Waiting on God, that's where I get my answers from. Waiting on God, that positions me in a place to hear from God so that I can live out to the full the life that he put me here to live. And I love Jesus' response. One thing's needed. Mary has chosen this, that good part which will not be taken away from her. In other words, God hasn't made your life too busy for him. That good part will never be taken away. If your life's too busy for him, you've done that. Lucky we don't have stones today. If our lives are too busy for God, it's not that God has made that. It's that we've allowed that to happen. It doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't make us uninterested in what Jesus has to say. It just means we're distracted by too many other things that aren't going to give your life what it needs in order for you to soar to the place where God wants your life to soar. So waiting on the Lord is basically positioning yourself to hear from God. I'm going to finish up here now because we've gone a little bit longer with the morning and a few things we had. In, in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus told the disciples to wait. Do you remember that? Wait in Jerusalem to you. It seems like God's forever saying to people, wait, wait, wait. And society's going, don't wait. If you've got to wait, something's wrong. Fix it so you don't have to wait. 
And you'll know it's fixed because you won't have to wait anymore. And yet these words of God echo through to his people going, learn to wait. Just wait on me. It's amazing the amount of energy, the amount of resource, the amount of time that you'll find in your life if you will prioritize waiting on me and actually being with me. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus says to the disciples, wait. Wait. What did they do while they were waiting? I'm not going to go into it, but you go back and read. I can tell you three things they did while they were waiting. One, they gathered together. Again, have you not known? Have you not heard? I'm not telling you anything new. How do we position ourselves to hear from God? We gather together. That's what the early church did. Jesus said, wait. Between that time when he said, wait, and the day of Pentecost, they did three things. They gathered together. Go and read it. Second thing they did. They meditated on the words of Jesus and the words of these writings. How do we know that? Well, Peter said, hey, you know what? Remember where it was written that that Judas will go and someone has to replace himself? They're thinking about the words of these manuscripts. They're thinking about God. They're meditating on God's word, on Jesus' teaching. That's what they're doing. Third thing, what were they doing? They prayed. How do we know that? The upper room, what were they doing? They gathered together. They're praying. You know, in 2,000 years, it hasn't changed. The church is at its best Followers of Jesus are at their best. We're at our peak. We gather together when we pray and when we have time in the Word of God. I know in a new, fast-paced, modern world, everything's at our fingertips, but God hasn't changed. He still wants relationship with us, and he still wants to speak things into your ear about your life, about where you're at, about what's happening in your world. When we make time to wait on God, the transactions that take place, and here's the thought I want to leave you with. Sometimes we think about these disciplines. We think about spending time with God. We think about church as one compartment of our life, and then there's my work, and then there's my business, and then there's my family, then there's my playtime. You know, this whole concept and thought comes comes from us. It does not come from God. When when, when Isaiah said to uh, Israel, when Isaiah spoke these words, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They did not hear those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their spiritual side of life. They never heard those words because he never said it. Somehow we hear it. It's all to do with the spiritual stuff. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your souls. We think Jesus said, come to me and I'll give rest for your spiritual side of life. And he never said that. He never decompartmentalized the spiritual side of life with everything else you're involved in. He never did. We do it. We think I need to pray and I need to read my Bible and so on because it will have a massive impact on the spiritual side of my life. Where do we get this from? It's not in there. We need to learn to wait on God because let me tell you something. If you learn to wait on God, you prioritize waiting on God, your business will be better. If you wait on God and learn to wait on God and prioritize waiting on God, your teaching will be better. Your shopping will be better. Will be. Trust me. Amen. Women all around the room going, yes! Let's get together now. Let's pray. Now. Now. I believe this with all my heart. The periods of my life where I prioritize waiting on God have been the most fruitful and prosperous periods of my life ever. Even I even play sport better. And I don't say that as a joke. I don't say that as a joke. I play sport better. When I'm prioritizing waiting on God. I believe waiting on God makes me a better father. It makes me a better husband. It makes me a a better friend. 
Waiting on God makes me a better employee. It makes me a better employer. Waiting on God makes me better at everything that I do because nowhere in the Bible does God say, if you'll spend time with me, your spiritual life will soar, but the rest of your life will suck. No, no. Those who wait on the Lord show renew their strength. If you're weak in your marriage, this is one step towards renewing that strength. If you're weak, in, 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 if things aren't going well in this area, that area, learn to wait on God because God is interested in the entirety of your life, not just the bits that we deem spiritual and the bits that we put up on a spiritual platform. Your marriage will be better if you wait upon God. So as we enter the festive season, and hopefully things start to slow down for you, you get a bit of a break from the normal routines of life. Don't forget... Continue to make time to wait on the Lord. If you haven't got that as a part of your routine, then let me challenge you over this Christmas period. Make it a regular, normal part of your life. You will, beyond a shadow of a doubt, feel the impact. Isaiah said, if you wait on God, these things shall happen. He didn't say they might. He said, now God will intertwine with you. You and God will intertwine. Your worlds will enmesh. All of a sudden, his thoughts will become yours. His ways will become yours. You'll start thinking like God, looking and seeing things like God. You'll start seeing the world around you, viewing people a bit more the way that God does. You'll start seeing... God in situations where you didn't see him before you'll find solutions where you didn't think there were solutions all because you took time to wait on God your marriage will be better if you wait on God your work life's going to be better if you wait on God your parenting will be better and here's the thing you'll party better hey you will trust me you will party better if you wait upon God you're going to laugh louder you'll laugh louder when you learn to wait upon God you're going to relax better you'll end up like a bowl of jelly if you'll learn to wait upon God. You're going to enjoy your family and your friends a lot more through this festive season if you'll learn to wait upon God. And you're going to bound into 2020 much fresher all because you learnt to, you chose to, and you prioritised waiting on God. Can we do that this, this, this holiday season? Amen. Yep. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, thank you, uh, Father, for what you're speaking to us, Lord. I pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you make it clear, each person in this room, what are you saying to them? The rest of the stuff, just let it roll off like water off a duck's back. But Father, that, that rhema word, that thing that you're speaking to each person here, because you love us, every one of us, you love us, and you're speaking to us in a language that each of us understand. So that thing that you're saying, I pray right now, God, would you seal it by the blood of Jesus. Don't let people get up and walk out of here, get caught up just like Martha and get distracted with life and forget to lay a hold of what you're saying. And Lord, I pray, keep us safe over this uh, festive period, Father. Lord, we pray for Casper uh, and the fantastic work that that organization is doing. Lord, we pray a blessing over uh, every person, carers, workers, the children. God bless them over this Christmas period, Father. Uh, Lord, and, and as the children take these gifts, uh, we do pray, Father, that they would know that there's a God in heaven that loves them, that has a plan for their life. And it's a good plan. And thank you, Lord, that you've led them to this organization. You've put them under the care of such wonderful, wonderful people. And God, for uh, the rest of us, Lord, as we leave here, I pray in the next seven days, give every single one of us an opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God, Lord, somebody out there in our community that up to this point doesn't understand it and doesn't know it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Apologies. We went a little bit later than today because we had a few other things on. But uh, next uh, Sunday, we'll be kicking off. We've got a Christmas service, so Christmas carols and things like that. Bring a friend or a family member. You know those people that only ever come to church on Christmas and Easter? Well, one of those days is next week. It's Christmas, so bring them along. And uh, let's fill this place and let's, let's tell some people about the goodness of God. Amen.